0: to D- Daniel Gould, my guest on this very special edition of the Music Meets podcast with me, Magica. Daniel Gould, founder of the brilliant website SofaBet.com, on which he shares his insight from his now full-time occupation, betting, most notably on TV music contests such as The X Factor and, yes, the Eurovision Song Contest. A former horse racing journalist and history politics teacher, Daniel has long been obsessed with Eurovision and started betting seriously on it when it expanded to include more countries in Eastern Europe and when betting exchanges such as Betfair took off. He placed his first four-figure bet in 2006 when he calculated Turkey had enough guaranteed points from neighbours and its diaspora to qualify from the semi-final. Since 2011, he's been reporting on Eurovision rehearsals from the press centre Whilst his Eurovision returns have fluctuated, Daniel has continued to make a profit each year. He states that one of the reasons he's happy to share his thoughts on SofaBet is that he finds that drafting an article helps him spot weak points in his own reasoning. And the very lively and pretty well-informed contributors in the comments section, for once, uh, can be very helpful in shaping his betting strategy. Now, if you even have a passing interest in The X Factor or Eurovision, which I hope you do because you are listening to this podcast, then I can't recommend SofaBet strongly enough. It's been said that the website is more entertaining than The X Factor nowadays, and I do wholeheartedly agree.
1: Welcome to the podcast. That's very kind of you, Matthew. It's great to be here.
0: Fabulous. So, this is going to be a slightly different format because Daniel isn't a musician. We're going to watch some live performances of Eurovision, three in particular that Daniel has chosen. And we're going to talk about his betting relationship on these songs and more generally how to stage a good Eurovision entry. But even if you think you're not interested in Eurovision, first of all, what's wrong with you? Secondly, it's pop music how to make pop music, put it on stage, structure it well, perform it well, and make sure that it has wide appeal. So I think it's gonna be interesting for you even if you're not as obsessed with Eurovision as we are. (laughs) So let's dive in straight away with your first choice. What have you picked?
1: So my first choice is the Icelandic song from 2005 and this represents um, my pre-big betting um, strategy on Eurovision, which was very small time. It involved burning the songs to a CD and listening to them uh, and deciding which songs I liked. And that kind of worked back in the late 90s and the early noughties when you had a small stage and you only had a limited amount of countries entering I could listen to the songs in 2001 and think that the Danish song was this happy clap along song that would work really well and that obviously just lost and the next year actually the Maltese song was another one at a big price at the time which I thought this is a nice little pop song and it eventually just lost but you know that it did well for a 20 to 1 shot but the point is I could just listen to the songs on a CD and feel that that was enough to kind of get me close to the winner and I'd just have like a 10 pound bet and I I followed that strategy right up till 2005 uh, and uh, in 2005 Iceland had one of its best artists returning, the girl who had come closest to winning the contest for them, Selma in 1999 with All Out of Luck. One of my favourites. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's a great song um, and she was returning and uh, with a song which sounded great on the radio um, it was kind of indebted to Britney Spears toxic it's it was called if you had my love it was very contemporary it was very poppy and Scandinavian and I loved it and I would listen to it often and I thought well I love this it's Selma she's proved herself on the Eurovision stage so it's going to be my bet this year for Eurovision but by 2005, the contest had changed. Mm. Um, you know, I was I was a little bit behind the times at this point, And it was an important lesson for me that you have to keep up with the way Eurovision evolves. And I hadn't managed to do that in 2005. Um, I was still going by the idea of the way things sounded on the radio and, and how much I liked them. And 2005 proved to me that I had to change my thinking. And that's because we had a song here which sounded great on the radio, but did not translate to the stage. Yeah. At
0: speaking of that let's have a little look we're gonna watch the video you can have a little listen to an excerpt dear listener and then we're gonna check in on what went wrong okay so this is Selma. if I had your love Iceland's entry from 2005 entry from 2005. Now we were watching that and we have so much to say about it. It's fascinating dive in
1: so there are the, I think we can break it down into two things to talk about here and the first thing is the song itself and its poor translation onto the stage uh, that that's to do with the song and the second thing is the staging so let's start with the song now the problem with the song is it's not a coherent three minutes it's something very different it goes fast, slow fast, slow fast, slow and then it slows into the chorus yeah. so it, it kind of breaks all those conventions now that was popular at the time we, mm-hmm. we mentioned Britney Spears. Is toxic, um, but it just doesn't work on the Eurovision stage. What people want in that three minutes is they want a very coherent package. Absolutely. They want something like Love, Shine and Lights, which is the most coherent three minutes yeah. of Eurovision pop you're going to have.
0: But you know what, Daniel? If you look at any of the winners, particularly yes. over the past ten years, they are verse chorus verse chorus some kind of bridge chorus la- louder chorus end there are no surprises in the winners you can do well and maybe you know get up in
1: the top 5 with something different but to win no and this this really does break that because it keeps changing tempo yeah. it changes tempo all the time and so it's incredibly confusing for viewers
0: i think the slow is too slow and the fast is too fast because that dance beat dunk, 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 that's like gabba that's like really really fast i remember that was my first reaction when i heard it i thought oh brave choice to have a gabba beat in the chorus it's really really it's i think i looked it up it's 150 bpm which is really fast too fast for a dance track actually
1: and the fact that she slows her tempo for the chorus i think is a bad thing it's very interesting we have the favorites for the Norwegian final this year is a song that does something similar. Uh, and yet with Icebreaker, it slows into the chorus and you're expecting something else. Quite how, how that gets on, I don't know, but this isn't a good sign.
0: Risky, very risky. And if you're going to do that, you really, everything has to be perfect. And we were watching that picking holes in everything so about the staging
1: yeah so obviously because of this change in tempo as well that makes the staging difficult selma is was in the eurovision in 1999 where she had very simple staging with two backing dancers and it was a very small stage and it worked perfectly fine Um, she's kind of brought the same idea of small staging onto the 2005 contest which has a much much bigger stage and so she has thought of a concept there is the idea of a concept but it's all very kind of micromanaged Mm. and it's all very small, and it's all about kind of little details that don't matter very much. There's one thing where she's putting her hand over one eye. This has nothing to do with with anything, and it and it's, it doesn't say anything to the audience. That quite the opposite, it puts a barrier up with the audience visually it doesn't really blend with the song it's all a bit small scale so there's that problem another problem is that Selma is largely carrying the vocals on her own and I think that modern Eurovision's have shown that you need vocal backup and it's very important to have those backing singers dedicated to doing their job she has her four backing dancers with um, uh, microphones to their mouths but you can't really add much if you're busy dancing Mm. at the same time so there's a kind of effort to do everything actually stage wise is a bit like song wise there's an effort to try and fit everything in um, and in the end none of it works well i would
0: say this is the number one critique i have of eurovision songs that become fan favorites because of course what's the difference between a fan and a viewer the fan will listen to the song several times you can fall in love with the song i'm thinking of molly from 2014 the uk entry Her song I thought was really great, I really liked it, but on the first listen I didn't understand what on earth was going on. There are four sections to that song, power to the people, hook, okay, then a verse, then a pre-chorus, then another pre-chorus, and then a chorus that starts with, oh, too complicated for three minutes. If I'd been involved, I would have snipped out two of those sections, I would have made much more of the power to the people section, it would have built and built and built and built. And I think it would have been more effective because she's a great singer, and I think some of the ideas there were good. But you cannot, it's three minutes. You cannot squeeze that much information into three minutes.
1: Yeah, I agree. And you have to remember that, let's say, the viewer is not just seeing it for the first time, but is, is watching 26 exactly. or 25 songs for the first time. And if you confuse the viewer, they're going to move on to the next one very quickly. Yeah. Um,
0: musically, there are a few things I wanted to pick up on. I think that start to the verse. Does not work. I think the intro is great. Dunk, dunk. Dun, dun. I'm going back to Selma here, by the way. dong You think? Ooh, what's this? What's going on? Intrigued. And then she goes, "If I had your love," and then there's like a bar of of rest. Lost it. Energy has dissipated. My interest has been lost everything's kind of on the floor then she has to pick it all up again in that verse that is not a, a hooky enough verse I, I think that's just poor songwriting actually and the other thing to notice here is of course as was the the case in the mid-naughties all the western countries are trying to beat the east at their own game so you have this kind of ethno pop you even had ireland bless them trying to do some kind of ethnic beat which with a couple of uh, ginger people it, it was really quite quite something uh you had javine obviously for the UK. And touch my fire um, and Selma bless her she's very Icelandic and she's got a little kind of golden bindi on her head and she's doing a little ethnic wail at some point no there's something lacking in, in the authenticity
1: yeah, there is a real sense to try and copy it right down to the instrumental interlude which allows her to do the little dance break. That yeah. was very much uh, along those lines yeah. of the ethno-pop mid-naughty number yeah. and Javine did it the same with Touch My Fire. You, shake, you know, do a bit of a belly dance and then think that will, that will satisfy everybody <laughs> in Europe.
0: Yeah. I do love that in Eurovision though that these little trends pop up and then everyone jumps on the bandwagon. I think that's such fun to spot. Oh, so we had ABBA winning so for the next five years you get two guys and two girls. Yeah. Uh, it, it's cynical, but it's quite funny, I think, to watch. Okay, let's move on to your second choice. Now, you've picked something where you learnt your lesson, yeah, right? Exactly. Betting-wise.
1: So, uh, yeah, I, it was very important to me to learn that lesson. And actually, betting involves constantly learning. Because you win some and lose some in betting as in life. You don't get everything right you're constantly having to think about becoming better you know i lost a little bit of money on iceland but it was a valuable lesson and we get to the 2011 contest and there's a very popular song pre-contest among the fans and it's the hungarian song um what about my dreams sung by katie wolf and it's a very popular song but because of the lessons i've learned from iceland i can spot the problems before the contest and then of course once i'm at rehearsals this time i can see the problems. With the staging as well as the song, and so this time I was able to think, yes, this is wrong pre-contest with the song, and I was able to watch it and think, this is wrong with the staging. And I bet a lot of money on it not doing well. I had a lot of money uh, on it not coming in the top ten, a a huge sum actually, a a sum I'd I'd actually I'd be cautious about putting down again because I was I was in my sort of relatively early days of of betting Hmm. large amounts, and I like to spread my bets around. But I really found myself putting a lot of my eggs in this one basket which which led me to be very nervous fortunately on this occasion um, I was proved right unlike with Iceland in 2005.
0: You didn't feel like just kind of popping a few banana skins on the stage just in case.
1: (laughs) Oh well you know there unfortunately you do watch the live final and you are thinking I hope she doesn't absolutely (laughs) nail it this time because then I'm going to feel more nervous. Well
0: for the first time ever as a songwriter I have I've had a couple of songs in national finals this year and just like in terms of my philosophy I would never wish anyone the worst but it's very difficult when the favourite is nailing it and you're thinking oh, if you could just miss a few notes then I might have a better chance of actually getting to Eurovision this year anyway let's look at Katie Wolfe trying her best for Hungary in 2011 what about- Dragon. Kati Wolf, Hungary 2011, what about my dreams? Um, something came to mind when we were watching that. I was thinking, what's the difference between a good performance and a good Eurovision performance? And if you want an answer, watch that video because I think it's a good performance and I think it's a terrible performance. Eurovision performance.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, like Iceland 2005, you could break it down into song and staging. Um, so let's start with the song, which, um, again, has a kind of fast, slow mm. issue. Is not particularly coherence, um, it doesn't follow that that structure that you mentioned because actually the bridge kind of comes after the first chorus there's a, there's a break well,
0: yes and, and like you say it's one where the beat drops out and you know particularly when she goes into Hungarian as well which she chose to do a kind of bilingual version on stage and the beat cuts out it, it's ever such an odd feeling as a viewer because not very many people speak Hungarian so you don't know what she's saying and there's no beat to, to root you so it just feels like she's off distracted in fact this whole performances about distraction you've got these you know body poppers dressed in white popping up totally cutting out any story that she was telling suddenly it becomes about body popping it's incomprehensible really
1: yeah i'm not against um dual language language entries um per se but i think you have to be really careful when you switch language and i think if you're going to do it uh, ideally you switch from your native language into english and because what you the danger of doing is by going from english into your native language is your danger of people going oh, I understood what she was saying a minute ago and now I don't understand what she's saying. Is that, and not quite understanding perhaps why at first, just yeah. thinking that she's just incomprehensible rather than, than realising there's been some kind of language switch. Mm. Whereas it, it somehow makes more sense to be singing something in your native language and then open it out to, into English so that everyone can understand. Mm. And that builds a story. You, you, you get to know the melody first and then you get to learn yeah. more about the song. Whereas here, as you say, she's distracted people by switching language um, having started in English so th- those are the problems with the song itself much as I like the kind of the upbeat tune I love it on a dance floor but the problem is of course people aren't on the dance floor and they aren't fans they're sitting at home watching yeah. and that's when we move on to the staging of it um, which again is a little similar to Iceland um, she gets lost on yeah. this very big stage she doesn't have enough support from the backing vocals which are pretty weak um, we have these three dancers who are not adding anything but distraction to the Story and she looks kind of desperate near the end when she starts wondering a little bit of the stage, and she just looks very uncomfortable throughout. She's not owning the stage, mm. there's no concept of the Hungarian team having worked on the camera work um, because there are a lot of long shots in which she's completely minuscule or lost altogether.
0: Yeah, that's a very dangerous choice, I think. I, I suspect it's sometimes the TV producers are saying, Look at our wonderful arena, look at our wonderful stage. If and when I get to Eurovision, I will be doing everything I can to basically do a Sweden and not let the host broadcaster show off their stage, instead showcase my artist and my song. One thing that I ask people I collaborate with in the studio and on stage very often is why are we doing this? It's almost a taboo in music, like you're not meant to, but I think it's so important. And so I would like to sit down with this delegation, it's a bit late now, and say, why exactly is there the body popping break? What does it add? And they would probably say, oh, well, Eurovision people like dancing and they like dance music and then, yes, but this song is called, What About My Dreams? There should be some kind of storytelling there. I have no idea what her story is because it's been so chopped up by the dancing and and all these fancy lights and everything. There's no intensity there. And I actually don't believe her, you know,
1: yeah and actually i mean the lyrics are lyrically it's um she's onto hiding for nothing because she sounds slightly entitled and a bit whiny i'd written down whiny and lost (laughs) so you've got to um the staging has got to show us something else they've got to win us over we've got to see that she's heartbroken basically because that's the emotional inlets that the song is potentially allowing us but instead unfortunately you know it's just her whining about the things she hasn't got in life absolutely and i think this is something that actually actually
0: non-eurovision performers could learn from eurovision what eurovision is is a great focus for your storytelling. If you've got a song, how do you put that specific song on stage? So if you've got a performance at the Grammys or Brits or Graham Norton or whatever it is, how do you make sure that the story and the message of your song comes across? And it could be that your story is, I'm Justin Bieber and I dance really well. Fair enough, if that's your thing. And so dance really well and make sure there's not too much singing because then you can just focus on the dancing. But if your, your song is about heartbreak, then you better try and make a bit of an effort to communicate that in some way.
1: Yeah, and actually this this sense of storytelling will relate really well to our third song as Mm -hmm. well. Um, Let's go for it. We're going to go on to um, Ukraine um, in 2013, uh, Zlata with uh, Gravity. It's really funny that you've picked these
0: three tracks because I have a very similar relationship with All three of them. And I think I know what we're going to talk about in this one, but let's have a listen and see if we're on the same page. Zlata Ognovich, isn't it? It Yes. yes. Um, And the song is called Gravity, and this is from Ukraine. Okay, Zlata Ognovich, Gravity, from Malmö 2013, from the Ukraine. Again, this is fascinating. I think that this is an example of what I would consider a pretty poor pop song. I think it's irrelevant. I think it's, like, in terms of the charts, I think it's dated. I think it's musical theater. I didn't rate it at all when it won the Ukrainian selection. I thought, oh, that's a stinker. They might struggle to qualify for the first time. And it turned into an undeniably brilliant Eurovision entry. So that's interesting. And you might think if you're cynical about Eurovision, oh, well, all the songs are rubbish and you can still. No, it's not a rubbish performance. It's all about her and it's a vehicle for her. She is brilliant. She is flawless, so professional. She looks beautiful, very engaging, very charismatic. She's carrying the whole thing, I think.
1: Uh, I had a very similar journey, and that's why I chose it. Um, she offers, funnily enough, I've coincidentally chosen three female soloists, and here she is offering a masterclass to the previous two Absolutely. on how to perform a Eurovision song. And actually, the whole presentation is a masterclass to Hungary and Iceland before on how they, they should have been done. So I agree. I wrote a rather sniffy article when it was first chosen uh, for Ukraine. I think I remember. Reading that. And, you know, I was sniffy about it. I was sniffy about the structure uh, and about the fact that it was kind of Disney. Um, the Lion King meets Eurovision. You know, we talked about the importance of structure. I felt this didn't meet that structure. And it has that, a terrible structure. It does I mean, I, structure. I, I can
0: confirm that. I have no idea if there's a chorus. Yeah. I i don't think there is yeah.
1: but it has a kind of coherence fun enough For yeah. three minutes the beats behind it has a coherence and the fact that it just kind of repeats various of its motifs of various r- slightly random moments yeah. uh, and you're not sure what's coming next in, in those terms is, is a bit off but can be off-putting but there's this beats behind it and i say the way it was staged um, was incredibly coherent it had a story there she was Again, it was mocked at first in rehearsals for the, the giants putting her on the pedestal. But of course, that was actually all part of the storytelling, all part of of her being on the pedestal, which was, as you say, it was all about her and she elevated the song.
0: Yeah. And uh, Dear listener, if you haven't watched the video, this is the point at which you click on and see a real live giant carrying Slatter onto a pedestal. That's not metaphorical. That really actually did happen.
1: Yeah, so she, she offered a, a vocal masterclass. She was really, really well supported by her backing vocalist who brought something extra, who brought depth um, to the whole performance, which didn't happen with Iceland or Hungary. Uh, so it's funny because there was I being sniffy about it pre-rehearsals and mocking it with everyone else in the first rehearsal and actually I realised by the night of the the final itself that it was one of my favourite three minutes in the contest Mm -hmm. and it's if someone said you only have one song to watch and listen to from the 2013 contest what's it going to be and it it would be this one
0: I agree I think 2013 was quite a poor year though, I must say, um, compared to the ones uh, previous and following. Um, The one word I've written down here in capitals is magic. This is what fascinates me about Eurovision and it's the reason I keep coming back to it. You have three minutes to convince the whole continent and Australia that you are the best and that you should get their vote. And the way to do that is by creating some kind of magic. And that magic might be by just having a beautiful voice and a beautiful melody. In Zlatta's case, it is, but it's also having real power and magic and fantasy and taking you on a journey. And when she does it, it does make it look very easy. And you do think, why doesn't everybody do that? I think one ingredient is actually charisma. I think you can't learn charisma. And she has it. Um, I was just thinking, though, watching it, that actually, if she had a slightly better structured song, she came third, so very good result. But... She could have won, actually, if the song had been a little more solid.
1: Yeah, I mean, what she's shown is that sometimes you can get away without the perfect structure if you you call it magic. I say you, there's emotion and feeling that is transmitted during the song, and somehow you are kind of like transported to another place by her performance, and it didn't matter that the song structure was poor in this particular example, or it didn't matter as much, because she was able to evoke feelings of, of wonderments. Um, and so you were kind of mesmerised yeah. by it, by what you were watching.
0: Interestingly, if I think of the 2015 contest, it was won by Mourn with Heroes and his unforgettable little stickman projection that he interacted with, which of course was one way of creating magic. You're transported to the stickman world, you know. And Mourn's was very charming and charismatic as well. And then I think of the song that came third from Il Volo. And I think that they had no gimmicks at all. It was three guys singing kind of cod opera, They had two very different ways of getting you to that magical place. One was purely vocal and musical, the other was really pretty much Essentially, you know, video projections and staging.
1: Yeah, it's it's very important when you're a soloist to create a sense of and you use the word interaction with Mars and I knew that was one of the important things about his whole presentation last year was the fact that even though he was a solo performer, in actual fact it was it was an ensemble piece with a story with other people on the stage. In fact they, you know they weren't real people or anything, but there was some interaction for the viewers to get involved with.
0: Mm, yeah, that's so important. One thing I just wanted to talk about briefly before we wrap up is your betting relationship on these songs. So we should say that you did okay with Catty Wolf with the Hungarian song because it did bomb, right?
1: Yes, yes. So yeah, Catty Wolf was one of my biggest wins on Eurovision. It was certainly one of my um, biggest commitments or liabilities. Um, had it the bet gone the other way, I would have lost a big sum of money. And so I was very happy with that. So what I try and do each year is I the beauty of betting on Eurovision is there are forty odd songs to choose from. I don't have to have a strong opinion on all of them or an opinion that is different from what the market is suggesting i just have to find a couple where i feel differently from the markets whether it's an outsider that i'm backing i was backing belgium at big prices last year at this stage of proceedings at oh, right. like 150 to 1 because i thought loic was charismatic and Super talented, and even though the song was perhaps almost a little avant-garde for Eurovision, I knew that actually this was the direction with juries that the, the contest was moving in. Mm. The way I bet means that I'm able to sell off my bet at a, a shorter price and guarantee a profit. So I'm looking either to to bet on something at, at large odds that I can sell off or keep for whatever reason, or I'm looking at something that's at shorter odds, it's one of the favourites that I can bet against. I'm always looking to try and go against the crowd, mm. and that's what you should do as as betting when you your betting so you should try and be counterintuitive you have a market telling you what price everything it it thinks is and you need to think where is it wrong where is the market wrong and that's where you're going to get your edge that's where you're going to make your profit where the market is incorrect so either you're looking to um, bet against the, the fan favorite or the, the popular one or you're f- looking to find the, the diamond in the rough in the sort of outer reaches uh, of the market mm. when you say bet against is
0: that only on Betfair
1: that you can do yeah that? I do that on Betfair um, it, which is an exchange it's like an eBay of betting or a stock market you can sell an act or a country so I was selling Katie Wolfe in other words what people were doing is people who wanted to back Katie Wolf on Betfair I was taking their bets I was acting like the bookmaker mm. so they were they were betting on her being top 10 at even money and they were saying, here's my £5. say, And I would say, OK, I'll accept your £5. So if she's not top 10, I get to keep your £5. And I've made a £5 profit. If she is top 10, I have to give you back your £5 plus an extra five. And that, I was doing it roughly even money, actually. So that's a good example to mm. give.
0: It's fascinating, isn't it, how technology and the internet has transformed so much of our lives. You know, it's like Airbnb, you know, the fact that you can rent out a room so relatively easily. And I hadn't understood that that's what was happening with Betfair. It's not a book- Bookmaker, it's you're the bookmaker
1: yeah the beauty of it is is so you're it's your opinion versus um, other people who are interested in the contest yeah so it's like just putting your money where your mouth is in the forums and stuff if you're on those eurovision forums and you're arguing about how well a song will do which is what we're all doing at this stage of proceedings it's just taking that argument to a betting forum and being able to kind of put your money down against each other which is glorious so it's a it's a wonderful way of tracking the build-up to the contest and um, market sentiments is a, is a fascinating way of seeing who might win the contest and in actual fact the market has become very rational in that by the day of the final most recently it's got right the not just the first but like the yeah. one two three um,
0: that's the only thing i regret is it means you know on facebook the day of the contest all my friends say okay matthew Who's going to win? And I say, this year it's Sweden. They go, okay. Sometimes they put a little bet on it. It's usually too late for them to get any money. And then by the end of the evening, I'm always right. The only surprise, I suppose, was Conchita, who before her semifinal, I certainly didn't rate. She was in my pool of no hope, as I call it. I have all the countries on my wall. And she was Austria, drag queen, not a chance. And then the semi-final, and the love and the energy and all of that. And we we're like, okay, this is going somewhere. By the final, it was the only question mark was whether Eastern Europe would get on board and in the end they kind of did.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's another example of using Betfair in various ways. Before the contest, I felt the same way as you. I I didn't think it would fly, despite the love from fans. But I actually backed her at 80 to 1 um, pre-contest because, purely because, not because I thought she was going to win, but because I thought the odds would shorten. Because I knew that come the contest, she was going to be the face of it. I I, I could imagine the, the British newspapers on the day of the final going, it's Eurovision tonight, here's what you're going to be watching. And it was going to be Conchita's face on the front pages i
0: did i did my little flyer for my eurovision get together where we watch it i don't call it a party anymore because we have to concentrate it's a eurovision viewing and of course i'm going to include the bearded lady so i had four is it going to be this one is it going to be that one or is it going to be the bearded lady
1: i mean and, and just by by getting all that publicity there were bound to be people thinking who am i going to bet on eurovision tonight? i'll bet on the bearded lady it's like a you know a grand national runner with an amazing name or something <laughs> or the gray horse or whatever i didn't bet on her at that big price because i thought she was going to win not at all i bet on her that price because i I thought she was going to come down to a much shorter price that i could then sell off Mm -hmm. Um, so sometimes actually it's not even about betting on something and waiting for the outcome it's betting on something and waiting for the market to hopefully change in in the way that you're, you're planning on it doing
0: okay so we need to get a racket going here where i get some surefire winner in some random selection i let you know and then you can bet on it early. And if we all agree, yeah, this is definitely going to win Eurovision 2039 or whatever, and we'll, we'll, we'll be millionaires.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the funny thing is just the market can be very hard to predict. If you're rather than predicting who's going to win, you're trying to predict how the market will change. You can end up falling flat on your face. <laughs> yes. Yeah,
0: a lot of factors. Yeah. Okay, just before we wrap up, as ever, if you'd like to get in touch, please do send me an email, podcast at magicka.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Magica. And if you'd like to watch the videos that we've just watched and listen to the songs, maybe you'd even like to buy them. I don't know. Uh, you can go to the show notes, magica.com forward slash podcast. Now, we always wrap up with a vocal impro. I understand you're not a musician or a singer. Can you make any interesting noises with your mouth? <laughs> the answer dear listener is no
1: Uh, (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's why i've never been musical okay
0: in which case i'm going to try and beatbox a version of the tedium the theme tune that gets us eurovision fans very excited when it comes on you chip in with whatever you feel inspired to do okay here we go Boom boom do do chum, dum boom dum boom do boom boom dum boom do chum, dum boom do boot. Boom boom dum boom do chum, dum, boom boom dum, boom boom boom, dum, 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 Interesting choice of harmony.
1: (laughs) I am the tuneless whistler.
0: (laughs) We won't expect you on the Eurovision stage anytime soon.